Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Eric Rosenberg. Eric is an author, an entrepreneur, a podcast host, and a meeting planner, and the author of a best-selling book. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Pat. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's so nice to be able to see you today. Same here. I, I would like to take you back to where you were in your life when you, you decided to write your book. Tell us about what motivated you to go through that process. Well, the, um, the essence was, uh, it, it was in 08, 09. Uh, I was still living in Brussels. And uh, with my business partner, we decided because of all the economic situation to uh, look at new ways of doing business. And so we started this methodology uh, to align meetings with the uh, strategy of an organization. And we start having great business case. And so after a while, I told him, uh, George, you know, uh, we should write a book. And he said, great idea. Who's going to write it? And I said, oh, I, I was hoping that you would. He said, no, no, I don't have time for that. So at that time, the book was not written. Uh, and then in uh, 2013, we moved to the US and people start saying, oh, you should write a book. So, you know, my grandfather used to say, if two, th- two people tell you that you're drunk, go to bed. So finally, <laughs> uh, in uh, 16, uh, end of 16, 17, uh, I did write a book uh, about uh, the, basically the, the first book on the why uh, of a meeting. Why, why would an orga- organization do a meeting? So that, that's when uh, it started. And have you written other books since then? Uh, nope, not yet. Uh, I have a second one. Uh, I have the mind map of the second one. Uh, which is totally different. It's, it's a story for my daughters of, of why we moved to uh, the U.S. Uh, so it's totally different. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it takes time, as you know. And uh, mm-hmm. something, uh, you have to block the time uh, for, for anything you do. So, All right. And we'll come back to that second book. I, I'd like to hear more about the first one. Who was the audience that you wrote that book for? So there were basically two audiences. The first one uh, are the meeting planners and especially the meeting planners that uh, are hundred percent focused on logistics. And so it's really to, uh, to open their mind into uh, what is the, really the need of uh, the, their customer. If you're my boss, Pat, and I come to you and I said, um, so we, you asked me to plan this meeting. Uh, we have, how many people are coming? How many rooms do we need? Do you need uh, an opening ceremony? Do you need, uh, how many people are uh, vegetarian? So you're going to look at me and answer the question uh, because I'm focused on logistics and that's the perception you have of what I do. But if I come to you and say, Pat, if I understand well, our competitors are so-and-so, the three main objectives of the company or the organization for this year is that and that and that, what is it that you want the people that are attending the meeting to feel, to remember, to act upon? You immediately are going to have a totally different perception 
of the services I'm providing. Whether you are an internal meeting planner or, or you're a third party and, and uh, helping customer. So that, that's the first um, audience that uh, I wanted to reach. And the second one, quite frankly, is the C-suite. Uh, mm -hmm. that are not understanding necessarily the power of uh, a face-to-face, -face, that are just doing the meeting like most of the sales director, I would ask, why do you do the sales meeting? Oh, because we do it every year. It doesn't make uh, any sense to me. Uh, try to justify that to the board uh, when you are in a meeting. And there is no measurement. There is no why you're doing that. There is no KPIs. And basically, if you think about it, any organization usually spend a lot of money in consulting and strategy and defining what it is they want to be doing in the future. But when it comes to executing it, in other words, when it's come to their team, they're not paying as much attention and not investing as much time and money to convey the message and to making sure that they understand why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is that, that it's so important to focus on what are the outcomes that you want to achieve, not just do rote planning and fill the agenda with speakers or topics without considering what are the attendees going to get out of that experience. Absolutely. What are the outcome for sure and how you're going to deliver it? The, the, the best example, the extreme, because I was planning a lot of sales meeting, a lot of incentive travels, uh, would be that um, the company would invite their customer uh, to the, a golf outing because the boss loves golf. But maybe 90% of the customer don't care about golf. Mm -hmm. So it's really putting yourself in the shoes of the people that you're communicating with. Whether you're in an association with your members or you're a company with your team, or with your customer, at the end of the day is exactly what you said. What is the outcome that you want and how you're going to deliver the message? The, the big rooms where you sit 1,000 people uh, line after line after line watching screen, that, that's over. Nobody's paying attention, nobody's listening. So what is it that you want to convey as a message and how you're going to deliver that message? I want to explore that comment that you just made about the thousand people in the room, that kind of event is over. We're recording this in the midst of the COVID isolation period, and it yeah. has dramatically changed your business and the business of speakers who provide the content for events like that. Let's step away from your book for a minute. Tell me, what do you see as the future for the meetings and events industry? Very good question. Um, I see the answer that I want to give you as two time frame. The first time frame is after a vaccine has been found. Mm -hmm. After a vaccine has been found, uh, listen, we, we crave for, for human interaction, for face-to-face -face meeting. So after the vaccine has been found, people might still be a little concerned a few weeks, few months, but I think ultimately we'll, we'll go back to uh, having a big stadium and uh, big venues and, and conference and trade show and everything. Until then, there is a concern. Am I going to get it or not? Uh, that I have to pay attention to and what are my responsibilities towards my attendees? So we're seeing across the board different variation from uh, people thinking of having one seat empty out of uh, 
you know, one, one uh, person uh, seated, then one empty seat. But then the question uh, comes, what about the range behind you and after you? Or people want to come uh, with families. And then when it comes to the meetings itself um, and the trade show, I think that what's going to happen as well is, first of all, until then, a lot of people are going to wear masks. And I think rightly so. Uh, there will definitely be uh, physical distancing. And I prefer to use the word physical distancing, social distancing, because I, I, I don't remember having been so social the last weeks and uh, even if through Zoom, but me meeting so many people through Zoom. But it's really the concern of uh, how close can you get to somebody. So that will definitely be uh, impacting uh, until we find a vaccine. And... Whether it's after or before we find a vaccine, I think that what you're going to see as well um, is a um, more integration with online, which we've seen in the past, but that has obviously accelerated. But I want to do a parallel. Um, if you remember the first time that uh, a football game was going to be broadcast on TV, people were scared. They said, oh my God, nobody's going to come to the stadium anymore. Mm. At the contrary, People actually saw on TV and say, oh, I want to be in that stadium. The same happened when you start streaming some sessions uh, from conference. So I think you're going to have uh, a more hybrid model of conference where you I want to still go to conference. I want to still have the face-to-face -face, uh, experience. I want to have the experience of the conference and the conversation in the corridor, in the hall that are not happening on Zoom and where I'm learning a lot building a lot of relationship, but also learning about my industry and what's going on. So that will always stay. On the other hand, you might expand the, uh, the audience. Uh, talk about uh, NSA uh, as a speaker. You still uh, have people willing to go, I want to go to Influence. I want to be there with my fellow uh, speakers. And maybe I cannot go. Maybe it's too far. Or maybe uh, I have uh, a family uh, event uh, in the middle of it so I, I cannot go. Well, I can still go in a different way um, by attending online and of course with a different price point. But I think that uh, in conclusion, you'll have a, a mix between uh, the online and still the face-to-face. -face. You brought up several interesting points. I spent two days this past weekend with 250 people at a virtual conference from nine or from noon until 9 p.m., two mm -hmm. days in a row. And yet we had people from 22 countries from, I heard, New Zealand and Germany and Africa, people who never would have been able to come to the live event, which was originally planned for California were able to attend online. Mm -hmm. We could replicate the networking sessions with breakout rooms, and we were continually going into new breakout rooms. We couldn't replicate the, the casual conversations in the hallway that are part of being at a conference or standing in line in the bathroom, striking up conversations with people. There were no lines in our bathrooms over the weekend. So we've got a a mechanism of creating a new type of educational experience that incorporates known elements, but also adds in some different aspects of getting together as a group and sharing ideas. Absolutely. It'll be fascinating to see how it all shakes out. 
And you mentioned about the vaccine. The other thing that I, I think of is for us to feel truly comfortable being in large groups of people, we would want to know that everybody had been vaccinated. And there's a whole pool of people who have strong beliefs against vaccines, any kind of vaccine whatsoever, who, if they didn't accept the vaccine, but then were part of a large crowd, you know, could potentially be sources of danger or infection for other people in that gathering. So I don't know what the, the answer is of when we would feel safe being with large groups of people yep. and taking our chances that everybody around us is healthy. Uh, what I'm he hearing now is that you have different tools. Obviously, wearing a mask uh, is a no-brainer for me now. Uh, and actually, if, if you were not, obviously, the, the, you see I'm in the cafe now. It's a, a beautiful background. Uh, thanks to Zoom, but if I was in a real cafe now, uh, there's no way I will not be wearing a mask. So I'm definitely wearing a mask. But to your point, there, there, uh, there will be new method. Look, what happened after 9-11 or what happened after the, the, the shoe bomber was caught? Uh, it changed completely the, the processes. So what I think is going to happen now that uh, you, you'll be able to uh, measure the temperature of people, um, not only getting in a conference, getting in a mall. Uh, in a shopping mall, getting in a restaurant if, if need be, and definitely at the airport. Um, Emirates Airlines already uh, starting to um, to measure the temperature of people before they fly. Uh, I think it's the airport in Vienna where you, you can be uh, tested when you arrive. So that will uh, change in the, in the processes. And besides the mask and besides the wearing, uh, uh, measuring the temperature, um, the fact that you would have a vaccine uh, I think will psychologically will change a lot in, in the mind of people. Now, 100% guarantee you don't have, but then we're going back to more comparable situation or should you wash your hand? Well, actually you should, <laughs> definitely, regardless of uh, the COVID-19. Should you uh, pay attention if uh, you're coughing? Yes, you should, regardless of the COVID-19. So hopefully there will be also a change in the behavior of uh, individuals and, and then there's not 100% guarantee. Yes, you can stay at home and write. Uh, but I think that from the moment that we have all of this, I would totally feel secure going to uh, an event. I'll take you back to the book. And I appreciate your perspective. These are things that we're all thinking about. And the answers keep changing in terms of what the future will hold. Absolutely. And there's no definite timeline that any of us understand at this point. Absolutely. Your book was um, about putting on meetings. Did you self-market that or did you go through um, or self-publish it or did you go through a traditional publisher? No, it was, uh, it was self-published and it was really uh, serendipity of life. Again, somebody said, oh, you should write a book. I said, another one. Said, okay, I'm going to write a book. And then uh, I took a course online on how to uh, write a book. Uh, and they were talking about my mappings, which is something that I've been using uh, as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. So that was the easy part. I actually um, get the different chapter structure and then I spoke the book and then I got the transcri transcription and then I went back to it when uh, I had finished the first draft. And then obviously you can hear my accent. So I needed somebody to... Uh, put it in uh, real English. 
and uh, one thing leading to another said, oh, but you should do a launch. Then maybe you become a bestseller. And I said, really? Uh, and then when we, when we reached that point, um, I was done. And people say, you have a book. What do you do with the book? I said, nothing. So what do you mean nothing? I say, no, nothing. So that there's this joke in Europe uh, between, uh, you know, the French people being uh, uh, with a, a big mouth and uh, the Belgian being a little more unassuming. And so there's the story about if you ask somebody if they can, what they can do on the scale from zero to 10, if they're able to do five, a French person will tell you that they're able to do eight and the Belgian will tell you they're able to do three. So I was like, okay, I got a book. I can tell my kids, it's fine. Uh, and then, you know, you, you get it. So it, it was really not something planned, uh, but one thing leading to another. Now I have an online course. Now I'm coaching people. Now I've been helping a lot of people based on the content of, of the book and also with, with my experience. So I realized that the, the route I take, uh, which is the self-publishing, um, I I'm, didn't write a book for any other reason that I wanted to have a, a, that book to, to, to share that message. But then I realized it's a business card. Um, not trying to sell the book or uh, whatever it is with it. But um, you realize that in this day and age, it's not only good to have a book, but it opens other opportunities, which I had no idea about. I'd like to explore those other opportunities. You mentioned an online course. Is that based in the content of the book? It, uh, it's, in, it's inspired by the content of the book. Mm -hmm. So the book is Meeting at Sea Level, with the letter C, and that's really about the why of the meeting. Uh, the online course itself, which is uh, exclusively targeted to business owners in our industry, uh, it's really about the different area you should explore to manage your business. So it's not about how do you plan a meeting better or how do you negotiate with hotels or how do you uh, negotiate with a meeting planner if you're a speaker. It's about you own your business. What are the different areas you should be aware of from uh, strategy, sales, marketing, finance, to personal development, to mental health, to action plan, and, and how to uh, be accountable. So it's really focused on the management of your business. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I was asked to uh, edit a book in January for a woman who is a puts on um, physical events, in-person events. And she had content that was about planning a meeting, putting on a meeting, planning it, evaluating, but it was all jumbled. If you... If you're watching our Zoom podcast right now, my finger's waving in the area and kind of in a random direction. There's so many steps involved in putting on a meeting. Mm -hmm. And I helped her with a structure that she had content, but it had to be put into the buckets of planning it, putting it on, and evaluating it. To me, that was a very logical progression. When you take a step back and you think about what are meetings doing for you, it sounds like you're encompassing all of this in your background, in your experience as a meeting planner. And you put parts of that in the book and then the online course took the content in a different direction, would you say, or deeper or 
you know, how would you characterize the way that you conceptualize the course versus the book? Right. It's a very good point you're making. I, I would say that the online course is broader than the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also it came from the idea of the book was I, I alluded to it in the beginning when I, I gave you the example of, of me coming to you and asking logistical questions or more strategic questions. And my point is, don't get me wrong, logistics is essential. If we don't have internet, we cannot speak now on Zoom. If we are in the room and uh, it's too cold or the, the roof is leaking or the AV is not working or the food is terrible or whatever happens, if logistic, logistics is not perfect, it's going to have an impact on the meeting, no doubt about it. And mm-hmm. I find out that there are a lot of people that are excellent at putting meeting together. And I did it for 20 years in over 50 countries. And I was really never focused on developing my business. And that I think it's very important not to lose sight of it because we always, any uh, meeting planner thrive with the logistics, with, with the stress, with the unexpected, because there's always something unexpected. And if you don't, deal with that, then you should not do the, you should not go into that profession for sure. But behind that, when you have your own company, whether you're one person company or 30 person uh, company, if you always busy with the logistics, then you're not developing customers. And if you're not developing new customers or maintaining relationship with the current customers, you don't have a business. And if you don't have a business, then forget about it. So it, 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 it was interesting to me to realize that most of the, and still today, most of the conversation I have uh, when I'm listening to people, they're very focused on logistics, which is good, but it's not enough. So that's what the online course is about. Uh, it's exclusively about helping people to start or to manage and grow their business in our industry. Mm. And that sounds like you're filling a unique niche. That's what I've been told. That's what I, I'm seeing with the people I'm helping. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, and, and it, yeah, it's true. If you think about it, uh, I don't think that uh, anybody is unique. And I don't think there's many people that have the, uh, the, exper- the expertise that I have from uh, meeting uh, planning and, and planning uh, incentive trip and, and sales meeting uh, all over the world. And in the same time, uh, having had my own business, uh, having sold my business and then uh, starting new, uh, new, new business. So that's uh, a different experience um, that, that can help some people. It's not going to help everybody, but it's definitely something unique for uh, a lot of people. I was struck as you were talking, Eric, about the idea of planning meetings in 50 countries, all of the cultural differences yes. that go into that. I had an opportunity probably 25 years ago to present at a conference in Pamplona, Spain. I landed there on a Tuesday with one idea about my topic. And then after spending two days with the, the woman who was the director of the school of nursing and her vice chair, they did, they took me around and entertained me and showed me some of the beautiful scenery in that area. I realized that I had a concept of where they were. This was a, a nursing conference that was probably 10 years ahead of where they were culturally. So I shifted all of my content 
Mm. based on those conversations and brought it down to a more basic level. But I had, I had just gone in off of the plane to deliver my material. I would not have met the needs of that audience. And they would have been looking at me like, you know, I, I was a creature from another universe. Absolutely. Which I was at that point. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. Uh, and that's been a passion of mine. Uh, I actually wrote a thesis at the end of my business studies on cultural differences uh, in business. But as a speaker, um, the, the amount of people that just go there and deliver without taking the time to understand who they're going to be talking to, uh, where, they, where do they stand in their life? What about their topic? And I can speak about it for hours. Just want to share with you one example, if I may. Mm-hmm. So we had this sales meeting for uh, a, a large, uh, one of the largest uh, pharmaceutical company in the world. We had a sales meeting in Lisbon and Portugal. Uh, and among the, so all the attendees were people from Europe. Uh, obviously, uh, some people from the UK were uh, English native. Uh, although, as they say, uh, the UK and the US are two countries divided by the same language. Mm, yes. The, it, it was the, um, the only uh, native English, if you want, in, in the crowd. The rest were people from all over European countries where English is our second language. And one of the speakers was that very well-known professor from a very well-known business school, which was speaking about motivation and engagement. And I have tried to reach him in advance together with my client, the guy was a real diva. He didn't want, ah, that's okay, I know what I'm talking about, I've been doing this for years, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, he arrived. Of course, he, he needed to change his slides at the last second. And there was some years ago, I remember, I still have the uh, USB watch, where you, it's a watch and the USB uh, <laughs> incorporated, so I, I can uh, help him with that. And then he went on stage, again, without uh, letting me, uh, giving you the chance to explain who was in the audience. And he starts speaking for five minutes, 10 minutes. And Pat, I have to say, I was impressed. It was very good, obviously, uh, not the first time I was doing that. But suddenly he went, so you're in the first base. You want, the, you want to hit the ball hard to get it out of the park, or at least to go second or third base. Nobody understood. Because baseball is not something that people play in Europe. And so you, ha- you start hearing this mumbling in the room mm. and the, the people doing the translation trying to explain up to the point that the guy went nuts on stage and said, if you don't shut up now, I'm leaving the stage, which of course created even worse. And if he would have just ask the question or let us explain who was in the audience. Let it, let it go through the speech. You know, even if we'd have spoke, uh, spoken about baseball, you can always say, well, I know you're not doing this here and, uh, and, and make it fun. And so th- that was ridiculous uh, for somebody, you know, from somebody um, who, who's so experienced and, and so expensive, by the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Before we wrap up, I do want to ask you about your book launch process and your bestseller status because we sort of slipped by that one pretty quickly. Tell us what you went through when you were finished with the book because you, you're a best-selling author, so I'm curious how you attained that status. So the, the whole thing is you have bestseller uh, and bestseller. 
Uh, that's the, the first thing. And the second thing, it, as uh, one of my friends would say, it's a bestseller is not a Nobel Prize of literature. So not that I'm not proud of what I've done. I'm very proud of it. Uh, but it, we, we're not talking about, you know, uh, having this uh, beautiful English uh, literature. Uh, we're talking about the book that uh, is interesting for uh, many people. And so the process uh, I follow um, because I was self-publishing, I'm discovering everything. So I, I had people around me that were guiding me. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's like anything. Um, th th it's a profession. Uh, it's an expertise that I don't have. Uh, what you need to do to, uh, to launch a book. So I um, basically followed their lead. Uh, we, cre we created some buzz. I started speaking around me about people in the industry. I had uh, the top 20 uh, leaders in our industry uh, recommending the book. And I created a, a Facebook group uh, with people helping for the launch. Um, and then there was a series of emails and communication that were prepared for it. And then uh, there's an algorithm with Amazon uh, based on the number of downloads, the number of people buying the book, the number of people reading, the number of reviews and everything. Uh, and uh, finally, I got the orange banner that says bestseller, uh, which again, uh, that moment was like, I can tell my family I'm a bestseller. It's great. That's all I wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but then you realize that uh, it's for everything. That there's a process to it. Uh, there's a difference, uh, obviously, being a bestseller on Amazon or being a bestseller on the, the New York Times uh, or uh, the Wall Street Journal or Forbes. So that's, uh, and it, it's more, you know, for me, it was just, um, a fun process that I was very proud to, uh, to achieve. But that, that's uh, no more, no less than that. <laughs> I got it. And then your next book, it sounds like, is more of an autobiography. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the importance of, uh, of uh, memory and um, transmission uh, is very important to me. And so uh, we left Belgium in 2013 and decided uh, to uh, bring our, our children uh, in America for their future and their safety. Uh, and I'm just thinking, you know, in, in 20 years time or uh, later on when they will have children or uh, the great, great grandchildren that I will never know. But there's uh, everybody's got a story in America of uh, when the ancestor came. So mm -hmm. I thought that uh, it would be interesting to put that on uh, in writing so that they can uh, they can read about it if they want uh, and that the, the memory is preserved. That is an interesting concept. I think about, in my family, my mother came over on the boat from Ireland with her parents when she was a year old. And wow. we heard stories growing up about what it was like living in Ireland before they emigrated. I can't imagine what it would be like to travel on a ship for two weeks with three kids under the age of six. Mm. My grandparents had iron constitutions to be able to manage that. Mm. And there's so many people in America who's, who are not that many generations removed. And I wish now that my grandparents are dead, my parents are dead, that I had those stories in some form mm. to understand what they went through. I've just got memories that I don't think I've done 
a real effective job in sharing with my kids, your method of sharing memories is going to be a lot more permanent. Mm, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's really the, um, the essence of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you that that's really uh, why I'm writing it. Plus there's a, you know, some friends and families and uh, but why did you leave? So I'm kind of um, tired of repeating the same story. So if, for those who want to uh, know, it's like, read the book. <laughs> Well, Eric, I know that the people who are listening to this podcast are, are going to want to know more about you and your services, your book, your online course. Can you share how our listeners would be able to connect with you? Sure. Great pleasure. So uh, they can go on the website, uh, eventbusinessformula.com. Um, so eventbusinessformula.com, they will see all the information uh, or uh, can go on the uh, the, the Business of Meetings uh, podcast, which is for uh, business owners in our industry. And if they are business owners, and only if they are business owners, because obviously you cannot help every, uh, everybody, but if they are business owners, they can go to uh, the Business of Meetings uh, Facebook group or just go to eventbusinessformula.com slash group and ask to join. Uh, there's a few questions. There's rules that uh, obviously I want everybody to uh, buy in terms of respect and supporting each other. And obviously they need to be a um, um, business owner themselves. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Eric Rosenberg. This has been Pat Iyer and Eric Rosenberg talking about his book and some of the, the insights that I've gotten Eric from this is that there are lots of nuances when you plan international meetings that you have to pay attention to. Otherwise you're going to lose your audience you shared with us the idea of writing a book came from more than one person saying, hey, Eric, you ought to write a book. And the process that you went through included creating a launch team with getting other people helping you with sharing the news about your book so that it did achieve a bestseller status. And the importance of keeping your memoirs in a written form so that future generations know what it's like to have been in a position to leave your country and your culture and come partway across the world and establish a new life in another country. You're leaving a legacy for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and others, many of whom in, in any country can identify with what it's like to be an immigrant and to start over. So thank you for that. And thank you for spending time with me, Eric. Thank you, Pat. Great pleasure. And thank you to you who's listening to this podcast. Be sure to come back next week for another great session. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com.
Bluenile.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>